On today's all-new episode of Discologist, we're talking about new music that we love from the Bogey Band, featuring Stuart Bogey and Joe Russo, Washington, D.C.'s Rosie Chima and What She Dreamed, and then digging deep into Get On Board, the new collaboration from music legends Taj Mahal and Rye Cooter. Settle in, it's time to get on with the show. All of our all of our friends are here. We made it. Um, we took a little unintended hiatus, and uh, I had a co- I had a I took a COVID break from life. <laughs> that was Trey gave you, you COVID. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, fish at MSG. Um, the whale was cool. The COVID was not. Before the whale was fucking. Oh man. Yeah, <laughs> maybe I'll put that in the show notes. I hate to say that, but that was that was an interesting little uh, wake up call. Various, I was in a various state, and I was like, "Whoa, <laughs> look at that!" Yeah. Um, no, it was actually it's actually good. There was a lot, you know, life happens and stuff. Uh, you got divorced, so that happened during that. Yep. Um, yep. and uh, you went to see fish. You got COVID. Uh, on the COVID front. Oh, I have I officiated a wedding too. You officiated not, a wedding. Oh my god. Yeah, 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 yeah. And they played Robert Ellis, if I am not mistaken. They did. They mm-hmm. walked into Topo Chico and Lime by Robert Ellis. Excellent. And they had and and the place settings were done using Topo Chico bottles with, <laughs> with name labels on them. So see, we're keeping it work. about music, folks. Um, speaking of, no music, real quick, I want to say you know you got COVID. Uh, I I have not had it, um, and. By all indications, you said it fucking sucked, right? I had a really miserable 24-hour period. And if that's what people had for like days and days at a time in 2020, 2021, mm-hmm. I, my heart goes out to anyone who dealt with that. It was that, that was as, that was worse than any flu I've ever had, worse than any illness I've ever had. And, and you're vaccinated. The only thing it wasn't worse than, it, it, it wasn't worse than waking up in the ICU after major surgery. That's the only like health thing that I can say was like more challenging than those 24 hours. Interesting. And I can relate to that. So as long as it's not yeah. that bad, I think, I think we're, I think we're okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but you were, you were vaccinated and boosted and, and I want people mm-hmm. to understand that like you made a conscious choice um, because there's a look we're in Wisconsin right now. We're, we're going to hit another surge. You're going to see a lot of canceled shows. Mm-hmm. And I imagine you would, you might have just passed that in DC, but we're, we're going to keep seeing this pop up. And, and I, and I kind of wanted to ask you about like that, that conscious choice you made, the, the risk involved in it. So people can like maybe get an idea of, of where they are on things. Because correct me if I'm wrong, like if, if you were going to that fish show, you knew that you're probably going to get COVID. I thought I thought there was there was an elevated risk of getting COVID. Right. Um, and um, I, you know, I know people who were at all four nights and did not get COVID. Right. And I know people who were there and did get COVID, myself included. And and, you know, the, the people people keep asking about people put it in terms in the in these transactional terms of like, well, was that event worth it? And that's not exactly how I think about it. I yeah. think about it more in terms of. You know, because I've I've also had to take risks to like travel for work or to like right. go somewhere to do right, and so 
it's, you know, I try to think of it as kind of a package deal. And there's a way in which I'm living my life, which sometimes will include higher risk events. Mm -hmm. And this is going to be a persistent risk as that happens. And what I can, what I can also say is, um, you know, I don't think I took that risk lightly and I was certainly prepared to throw everything at it if I got it. And, and that's partly why I, I tested myself the first day I got back. Um, but but also, you know, living with it doesn't mean just getting it and letting it take its course. I was able to I was really lucky. I was able to get Paxlovid on, yeah, yeah. on the day I tested positive. And even with a few doses in me, I still had 24 of the worst and most painful hours I've ever had. I had a fever spiking, you know, 102.5, point a lot at times. I had that moment of thinking, <laughs> yeah. should I have gone, should I have, should I already be at the hospital? Like, did I fuck up by sitting here and right. not, and not going? Um, and then I woke up the day after that feeling worlds better and was just incredibly thankful that, that the storm had passed, but just, you know, don't. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's hard for me to say because I had it doing something stupid. I got it doing something stupid mm. and I'm sort of invincible now for at least a couple yeah, of weeks yeah. and I'm probably so going to do more stupid things as a result of that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, but, you know, ultimately just, just really don't, don't take this lightly and don't be cavalier with it. I've heard of a lot of mild cases and that's great, but people out there still have rough cases and the percentage of COVID deaths in people who are vaccinated and boosted is has been growing steadily. And I mm-hmm. think there's somewhere around 15 to 20 percent of all COVID deaths now is people who have gotten jabbed at least three times. So think about think about that when you think about your risk calculus. Yeah. And I think about like as, as Wisconsin goes to like all the counties around Milwaukee right now are, are high. So there's like no chance that say I'm going to a show. I'll do other yeah. things, but like I'm not I'm not going to a show right now. And that's 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 my choice, but that's also because I just I don't want to deal with what you did, and and I guess what I, what I want to say to people who are making these calculations is, is that it, this is so cliche at this point, but it is about a lot of like other people, and that's great if you feel comfortable going to a show, but like wear a mask, like understand yeah. that we we are still all in this, um, especially the bands. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, there's, uh, you know, there's a whole thing where the bands, bands were all like, please wear a mask, please wear a mask. And like, my unpopular opinion is that like, also just play places that require that that's harder. Yeah. That's not easy, but that is the answer. Yeah. Um, and, and I think, I think as we navigate through 2022, we just need to like pay attention to stuff, pay attention to what it's like in your area. If you're touring, pay attention. If you're going somewhere, and like, if it's out of control, like, like maybe for your own safety, it fucking sucks. But like, you gotta maybe cancel the date. Um, yeah. I I don't know the answer, but like, I I feel like, um, which by the way, I, I'm I'm thrilled that you're okay. Like, we had we had like same. five people, including family members, uh, who who got it around that same time. And as somebody yeah. who didn't get it, it's it's so remarkably stressful to like see people uh you you care about like facing this little unknown thing right now yeah Um, yeah and 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 you know you can do things to protect the people around you if you're taking those risks right so i have two immune compromised people yeah uh in my life and um and my my sister's wedding was coming up and so i had this sort of like race to kind of clear the infection in time to be able to officiate that 
And then that required me remaining masked at a number of pre-wedding events mm-hmm. um, because I was within the window and because that's what, you know, because I was following CDC recommendations. Yeah. So again, living with it doesn't mean being, you know, disregarding it yeah. and and not taking it seriously. It means being being prepared to take action if and when you do catch it, even if it's doing something really stupid, like going to see four fish shows at a sold out <laughs> Madison Square yeah, Garden. Yeah, I mean, Ob- that's unst- objectively a well, bad there, idea. There, there is but- a side of it where, yeah, like, you know, and I know you've said this a lot, like, that, you know, at some point, you, you, everybody has to get back to living. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean you get back to living how you used to. I, th- I think that's how right. that's how that's how we need to start looking at it, especially in the music space. Um, it, it just things have to be different. Um, maybe someday we'll we'll get there where they won't. They aren't different, but you know, like so the Sylvanesso crew just tested positive. They had to cancel f- like I think it was five shows, and they yes. don't have plans of making them up. That's yeah. not how they ra- like so. You know that that's the reality if you're a fan and that happens to you stay chill man <laughs> you know it would be you know they it, risk, it really they, makes they risk a coming out on the road for you yeah well it really makes a difference i think venues can 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 have a huge impact here yes and the difference between um a show at songbird which still requires masking yeah. and at anthem which does not <laughs> um those shows feel really different and yeah. um and so, you know, I, 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 I wonder, I wonder what, what it would look like if more venues kind of held to that, because that is clearly, I think the best thing they can do for public health. Yeah, we'll see. And, and I'll be, uh, I, I do a little pressuring online behind the scenes. So, <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty vocal in, in this as far as what venues need to do, but, uh, yeah, yeah. we've got the same thing here. Cactus still masked. Paps group does not. I, yeah. I mean, I, there, there's no... Yeah, it's a whole lot. But at any rate, that's that's enough of like sort of bummer talk. But I felt felt it was important to partially explain why we were gone. Part of it was we're lazy. And part of it is because the album we're talking about today is is actually like it's kind of intimidating. Um It is. You know, yeah, regardless of but uh but before we get to that, we do have to play some songs. Unless you want to talk about Kendrick Lamar. I don't think <laughs> I um I think I think you and I have slightly different takes on on the new Kendrick although I'll say I've only I've only listened all the way through a couple times I think it's I think it's an interesting and complex work and I'd like to explore it more but it's also not a high priority item for me to explore I can I can get no, to it we're, in the we're on the exact same page <laughs> we're on okay, the exact good, same good. page with that so that that is our official Kendrick Lamar review and please give us all the hits for that um, I, I, you know, I, I'm going to start off this week because I feel like this is something you need. And I feel like maybe, uh, I didn't send this to you, but I didn't because you I did. knew we were going to talk about it, but I was like, oh, fuck, Good. Eduardo is going to like be all over this. Uh, the name of the band that I'm going to play here is called the bogey. Band. Uh, it's Stuart bogey, who is from, uh, Antibalus amongst other things. He played all over TV okay. on the radios. Uh, returned to Cookie Mountain. He's played with Arcade Fire. Huge in the in the New York uh, art scene, rhythm scene. Uh, he's a saxophone player. And Joe Russo from Joe Russo's <laughs> Almost Dead. Yeah. Um, okay. And they got together. I believe this was made over the pandemic. Um, the name of the album is Prophets in the City. And they 
pulled in a bunch of artists from this scene. So, you know, Budos Band, uh, the Daptones, people in there, all like cast members of American Utopia, stuff like that. Mm. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. that because the New York that New York scene, the jazz scene is is incredibly vibrant and they're all working into these things right now. This is a, this is like, a, I don't know, a third renaissance uh, for this stuff. It's fantastic. Uh, but what they created uh, as an album that is like half party, a half like companion to like an alabaster de plume. Uh, type thing oh, it's, wow. it, it, it's got these beautiful moments but it's also got these like hellaciously like fun moments the track i want to play is the witness this is the second track on the album it comes after like an eight minute just jam um and i'm excited to see your response to this because this is we'll talk about this afterwards but we both have uh time in the in the fish after shows of the, of the late 90s um so so there is part we're of that just, we're just we're just hanging it all out to dry right we are, now we're we just are. all the dirty laundry yes yes just, we are but yeah. but there there is always some uh interesting stuff to be found in there so this is this is the witness this is by the bogey band uh off their new album the prophets in the city Thank you. 
That is the bogey band with the witnesses. I said the witness up top. Uh, that is not Tim Capello, uh, the muscle-bound saxophone player. <laughs> Last seen in Lost Boys on saxophone. That is that is uh, Stuart <laughs> Bogey. Um, and uh, as you can hear, they they run the gamut of jazz, uh, Afrobeat, hip hop, uh, everything. And I said I mentioned the Fish after shows. Joe Russo, before he was doing all this dead stuff, was in a band with Marco Benevento called The Duo. They played a bunch yes. of ha- after shows. Yes. Them and a band, no, a band named uh, Ulu, uh, if, if you want to go back that far. Uh, <laughs> but uh, that's enough That's enough for me. Uh, Eduardo, what do, you, what do you think about that? I uh, I I enjoyed that a lot. Um, the 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 names that uh, the things that popped into my head a little bit were sort of like uh, maybe like a Colin Stetson type quality yes. a little bit. Um, there were moments there where I thought of um, one of my one of my favorite like names to pull out of a hat. Mike Mike Post is the guy who wrote like all those little sound vignettes for like law and order and nypd blue yeah. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. that sort of like interstitial music um yep. you know there's something about so you said that there so there's no string instruments there right that's all there's not that's it, all. it is it is only yeah. percussion and uh woodwinds interesting yeah there, is there something kind of like broy or masculine about that sound like sort of like in a maybe i was just primed because of the budos band thing but it sounds a little it sounds i don't know I, I yeah, it, 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 the first time I heard this, I I was like, I, okay, I, this is gonna be some hippie shit, <laughs> and and then I heard it, and it kind of was, but then I was like, wait a minute, there's actually a lot more to this. Uh, it it deals, I mean, it's almost like electronic where or dance music where it just it it just vamps the thing over and over, slowly adding in and removing parts to the whole thing. Um. There are yeah, more structurally, you know. Yeah, the, there are the more serious kind of, kind compositions. Of the melodic structure. Yeah, the, yeah, on, yeah, on the record. Absolutely. But 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 this one and like the first track are just like straight ahead, like go, and it wow. doesn't vary from the melody too much. It, it's a fascinating way to compose, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, um, I can see that being uh, immensely fun to see live, and yep. um, and I hope I hope they tour it. I hope I hope they you know that's that's the kind of thing where I might I might in fact prefer to like go into the show cold, um, knowing as little as possible just to kind of experience it all for the first time live. Um, yeah, I uh, like uh, I, I watched the Randy Rhodes documentary. <laughs> this, this tangible makes sense, but um, last <laughs> night he was he was the Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player. Before that, he was the guitar player in in a version of Quiet Riot that never got a record deal. But they were making like complete like ass Boston rock. It was fantastic. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. I, I recommend this documentary <laughs> to everybody. But uh, I bring it up because there was a they make a point to say there was a time when they were in Los Angeles where lots of bands just didn't have a record deal, but they were selling out like thousand seat venues. Which, if you think about the, the huh. now, like that's that's kind of weird. Like to think about like that happening back then, and now it's like what you know, big clubs are like fifteen hundred seats, four thousand seats, but they're all like established national touring artists. Yeah. So these were people that were going in and selling out these clubs without a record deal, without a record, like no radio play, nothing like that. And this is kind of what I want some perfect version of this band to be. That is just like they do a show somewhere in New York, right? And they do like three nights. 
mm-hmm. and just everybody shows up and you have no fucking clue what you're going to get because there's, I mean, there is a record, but there's like no record behind it. Maybe they have like eight records worth of material. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, it does. Uh, yeah. I, I, I like that. I'm, I'm not, I'm not sure if I'm going to, I'm not sure what I'm going to do now that I know that it exists. Like if I'm going to dive into it tonight or if I'm just going to sort of try to figure out if, if, if there is a plan to do like a residency somewhere in New York, that would, that would make a ton of sense is for them to yeah. lock up like a uh, sort of, you know, small mid-sized jazz club for like two weeks and just, and just play two sets a night for. They've got a couple shows coming up. I'll, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll put okay. it in the show notes. Okay. They've got a couple shows coming up and, uh, yeah. No. Wow. I would fly Very out cool. to the East Coast for that. Yeah. But, um, so that is the bogey band. Well done. Yeah. Well done. Um, I'm going to take us in a slightly different direction. Um, if you say Arcade I, Fire, I'm on the next plane to beat your ass. <laughs> it is not Arcade Fire. It is also not. I haven't listened to the new Radiohead side project, mm. which will shock none of our listeners. Um, yeah. It's no and Moonshade And I probably pool. won't listen. What is, uh, what is it called? The Smile. The Smile? The Smile. Uh, yeah, I already... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is... <laughs> That's not going to win me over. Um, okay, so uh, Sunday night, just a couple nights ago, I was with um, our friend Mauricio at uh, Songbird to see No No Boy, um, which is a show that I cannot recommend enough. If people have a chance to see it, I think he's in New York this week. I don't, I don't know that they that they play a lot, but because um, it's a complicated show, but but go listen to that record. Um, I thought about pulling a track off of that for this, but it. it no, no individual track does the whole thing justice. Just, just dive into the whole thing and go listen to it. But the opener um, was uh, this group that I found to be absolutely kind of transfixing and and hypnotic. Um, and uh, I, I, in fact, got to see them outside the venue as I arrived. There was like a big rainbow ending directly at Songbird. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, and so I got to see. Um, uh, all four of uh, of uh, these humans outside taking pictures in front of the rainbow, and it was really kind of sweet and adorable. Um, this is uh, this is off of the album Realm of the Warring Gods by Rosie Chima and What She Dreamed, and we're going to listen to Not Your Woman.
two minutes in and out. Nice. Um, a really lyrically complex and interesting song. Um, Kevin, I don't think this is like really in your wheelhouse, but how did that? How did that strike you? You'd be you? wrong. Also, two minutes is the ninety minutes of movies. Yes, it is. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. Like, if you can do that, guarantee make an album of all two minute songs, and I'm like I'm probably gonna be into that. Um, <laughs> I actually love that. Uh, I I love that because. Uh, back in the day, there was well. First of all, the bass the baseline is fucking is it's fantastic. Um, I just got a bass. Yeah, shout out, shout out to um, shout out to Steve. I think uh, who's a librarian and <laughs> yeah. uh, is on bass there. Yeah, I, I just got a bass, and and the reason I got one was because well, I needed to be able to play bass and stuff. But like we talked about this, how I love like old soul music more than anything else. And those are, that's a very specific musical identity, but I'm finding that you can plug that into anything. And so this is plugging into punk and it's a little, it's like, but yeah, it works. Yeah. It's like, it's fine. Yeah. Uh, no, but besides that, there was an artist in the, she's still around too, in the mid to late nineties called Mary Prankster out of Baltimore. Um, the, this is a homework assignment for everybody to look it up. The, the, yeah. uh, it's actually, you can't, people can't see my guitar. There's, they, they think it's the Natty Bow guy on a sticker on my guitar, but it's actually a Mary Prankster sticker. Um, and oh, this nice. was, this is, uh, a punk singer, songwriter, punk ish, but also like there's some humor in there, uh, much like in here. Uh, this, yeah. I mean, yeah. and there's some humor, aggression, uh, and, and, not willing to surrender to making like a, a a velvety pop song, yeah. Like make it make it something a little edgy, um, yeah. And that's 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 the uh, I think that's the sweet spot for stuff like that. There's there's a spikiness to some of uh, Rosie Chima's vocals that I think is yeah. is really compelling. And as much as we've made fun of um, the genre of music that I sometimes call uh, guitar boy has feelings. <laughs> Uh, it it turns out that if guitar anyone who's not a boy has feelings, I'm super interested in it and here for it. So whether it's whether it's Rosie Chima or Francis Quinlan or Mal Bloom or something like that, yeah. you know, if if it's if it's if it's a woman, if it's a they, if it's just something other than a boy with feelings and a guitar, I'm I'm probably going to be here for it. Yeah, no, that's actually uh, it's 2022, dudes. I'm sorry, you can't yeah. do. That. You know that, that was the thing. Else. The Kendrick album was just Kendrick with feelings. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so, I see that. I see that. So, but get that money, Kendrick, is what I'm saying, right? Because that sells. I'm, if yeah, you're if you're a white dude with feelings and you just want to do that, people are like, "Oh my god, I can't believe you had a feel." That is like literally the lowest fucking bar you have to clear. <laughs> um, and yeah. and so and, and I think um, to that point, though, a lot of that is, I, I don't like just talking about your feelings music uh, because I need a story involved in it. But I think that that succeeds. Like, that's the yeah. thing is like, she's obviously a great writer. Yeah. Well, well, Rosie and I had a great moment um, talking about Robert Haas at the merch table. And I think their their writing is really um, informed by uh, kind of literary poetic things that it, it really comes across. The, mm -hmm. the band is really fun and engaging live. Michelle Ahmed on um, on drums, Barrett Brown on on lead guitar. Um, and they're on um, friend of uh, friend of the show, um, yeah. Aaron Frisbee's uh, label. This could go boom. And this was recorded at Ivacota, which is where um, Broke Royals recorded their new album. Yeah. So Ben Green, is... Ben Green over there is is a doing yeah, it. Yeah. I, I may actually yep. get down there to uh, to record some stuff sooner or later, but that's that's not ready to quite announce that yet. But 
yeah, that's fantastic, dude. Is, yeah, is, all, yeah, is all that um, up on uh, Bandcamp? Their stuff is on Bandcamp. The, um, there are a few releases that are just under Rosie Chima's name. This is, I think, um, this this one is is the the full band is credited. So it's it's Rosie Chima and What She Dreamed, Realm of the Warring Gods, and um, highly rec- highly recommend checking out their stuff. They got it on vinyl. Um, they do not. I got Blackberry, Blackberry, Blackberry on cassette because I still do that sometimes. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, I do not have any physical media for them. Oh, I got a sticker. I got a sticker, which is yeah, now on my th- vinyl. No, this shelf, is fine. But... This is fine. It's just, yeah. I was like, if they if they don't have it on vinyl, people, if you like it and listen to it, go buy the digital or the cassette. Like yeah. that, that's what that's what I'm saying. It's like I'd like it on vinyl, but it doesn't exist. So I want to support this. So yeah. So yeah, yeah. So two good picks, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, uh, yeah. We're 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 covering a lot of bases today. You you ready uh, to get into the the the? You ready to get into it? <laughs> Let's go into the heady portion. Heavy. Of the, of we're the we're gonna take here. a quick break, and when we come back, um, we're gonna talk about Taj Mahal and uh, Ry Cooter's new album, uh, Get On Board. Oh, let the midnight special shine on me. Let the midnight special shine a heaven loving light on me. Yonder comes this rosy. How in the world do you know? Now you know about her apron and the dress she wore, umbrella on her shoulder, piece of paper in her hand. That right there is a song that everybody listening to our voice right now better knows. Midnight Special. Uh, so many people have covered that. Uh, playing that right there, though, uh, one Joaquim Cooter uh, with the help of his friends Taj Mahal and his father Rai Cooter. Um, <laughs> kind of buried the lead there. I but did. Yes, I did. And <laughs> well I don't. I, I remember we did an episode about Rai Cooter, and I think it was you and and Drew. And Drew, yeah. And neither um, of you were that, for that familiar. Prodigal, it was for the Prodigal Son record, yes, right? Yes, I think it was, yeah. And yeah. neither of you were that familiar with Ry Cooter. So it was like watching like your mind expand while we're talking about this. But I think what you, you guys figured out during this, that, that like Ry Cooter is, Ry Cooter's my guy. <laughs> he, is, is, he is your guy. And, he is your guy. And I, when I got this email say, announcing this album, I literally like squeed. <laughs> it's like, oh my god! Yeah. If yeah, whatever Rod Cooter or or uh, well, Kim Cooter put out, I'm going to consume. Let's just say yeah. that. So for me, this is actually kind of a, a difficult record to talk about because um, it it integrates everything I love about both their catalogs. Uh, features Taj Mahal on it, who is just this legendary harmonica guitar player. Um, but it, more to the point, it, it sounds like 
what what Raikouder does, and what Taj Mahal does to some extent, um, but Raikouder studies music history and then finds a way to bring it forward. The Buena Vista Social Club, for example. Uh, yeah. And but the blues, this type of blues, has been always in in sort of his main zone. Uh, he did a soundtrack for a movie called Crossroads, which he worked with Sonny Terry on. Uh, right. on that in right, 1986 right. starring Ralph Macchio yeah. Star, yeah yeah uh, that sounds exactly like this because now he's 75 you know 50 years after him and Taj Mahal were first in a band like they can't sound like anybody else mm-hmm. and it feels like a, a bit of a, a, a gift and it actually makes me ask questions about what we're doing in the music world right now when these like veterans of this can just drop this recording that, you know, very loose recording. Uh, it's all like cover songs. <laughs> like they didn't, yeah. they didn't do anything. Um, and, and can drop it and have it sound so good and resonate like so hard uh, with everything. And I'm not trying to say like, well, they just wrote better songs back in the day. That's not, that's not <laughs> what I'm getting at, but it, it sure kind of feels like that you think i i think there's i think um where i come at this and and the way i see that is from that from that folkways side of things which we've mm-hmm. talked about on the show a few times before in fact the sunday night show here the no no boy show was a, was a folkways sponsored mm-hmm. show as well so i'm having a very very folkways week um and you know w- w- what um, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee, that was one of the first CDs that I got really into the summer I was interning at Folkways. I remember oh, wow. vividly kind of pulling that aside. And it wasn't it wasn't this record. It was it was Brownie McGee and Sonny Terry sing or something like that. So the song selection was a little bit different. But the minute I put this on, it it immediately transported me to that kind of that space, to that Folkways land. Um, because there's a quality to those recordings where it sounds like uh it it sounds like someone just sort of walked into a room and put down their instrument case and proceeded to play for 45 or so minutes yeah. um because that's largely what was happening you know mo right. mo ash who was the kind of architect of this whole thing had just had sort of like an open mic and an audio engineer and he would pay you up front and so reverend gary davis uh woody guthrie Mississippi's Big Joe Williams, Dave Van Ronk, you know, all these folks would literally just, if they needed a little bit of money, they would just sort of stop by the Moash studio and throw down a few tunes. And it it had this really just incredibly like welcoming and organic feeling. Um, you know, the like David Grisman's label likes to brag hundred percent handmade music. And this this yeah, is yeah. this this <laughs> feels handmade. You know, this this yeah. really does. You can hear the room you can uh if you look at some if you watch some of the videos online uh that they've released from these sessions too it's just it's just such a comfortable environment that they're doing this in and so how you know so that's why the songs just sound relaxed but also deep right that i think i think there's a respect in how they're approaching it where where you're sort of letting the song stand on its own and not trying to embellish it too much and that's also part of the folk tradition right is that you actually tend to move it forward by trying to look backward because it turns out we're all like imperfect repeaters of a signal. So we think we're, yeah, we're yeah. playing it the, exactly the way we hear it, but we're not, we're putting something of our own into it. And I, I think that's, I think yeah. it's interesting. Like they, because they, 
they said that, look, we can't recreate this. This, this. These guys are the reason that both Taj Mahal and Ry Cooter started a band. Yeah. Yeah. Like the band was Rising Suns. Um, and uh, I mean, they were on Columbia Records, man. Like they, this was like a yeah. big deal. Um, but the reason was because of this and like Ry Cooter was even like, look, I can't play this. I've gotten better at yeah. it, you know, by now. But so we we came in and we're like, we're not going to actually like try and do this. And as a result, they end up like essentially doing it. like it. Th- there's a shaggy quality whenever uh, Cooter produces something that is strictly hardcore blues based. They just gets mm-hmm. right, like you said. You can you can feel the dust on the floor. Uh, you can yeah. feel the floorboards creak. Uh, you know, and 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 I don't have any other explanation for how he comes by that, other than he's just reached like the pinnacle of his craft. As has Taj. You know, they're both like imagine just be calling up your friend and being like, "Hey, you know the songs we like." Yeah. What if we just hung out and played this in like yeah. two sessions? That's exactly that's exactly it. That's exactly it. There's there's a you know, it's not I think of being able to do what they did here. It's not necessarily an accrual of technique and talent. It's sort of the opposite. It's like the removal of the ways in which you learned or have adapted to playing so that what's left hopefully is just the kind of the essence of the thing that that pulled you to that song anyway. Yeah, maybe that's it. Um yeah, I can tell you what pulled them to one song. They're, they're mm. dirty old men. <laughs> there's uh, some. There's some. Uh, yeah, this, this song, Deep Sea Diver. We'll, just, we'll play a little bit of it, and, and you tell me what it's about. It's late in the midnight hour. Hope it's not getting too sexy for everybody. I'm 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 blushing. I'm blushing. Man. Uh yeah, temperature rose a little bit. Uh two dirty old men. <laughs> <laughs> 
just laying down them blues and and going down on on some woman uh or maybe not yeah yeah there, there's there's a there's a there's an enlightened uh way of looking at this which is to point out that um you know, it's 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 the opposite of toxic masculinity to have a guy brag about his his prowess at pleasing a woman. Yeah. Um, to other men, and there's something right. satisfying about that to say, "Look, my technique is better, and I can go down there and do things that you're not willing to do." Right. Um, yeah. So that's that's kind of that's <laughs> like I don't I don't want to say that that's sort of proto woke, but it's more thoughtful than my dingling or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, as, as delivered by these guys, it's like right in the first thing you hear right cooter off the back here is like, yeah, yeah. It's- as delivered by these guys, though, it's so fun. It's like yeah, they they yeah. know they're like, man, can you believe we're singing about this? I still got it. <laughs> but well, there's when you get to that kind of randiness in some of these old songs. Yeah. I mean, I think I think that's part of what that's part of what the folkways proposition is about it's that if you capture if you capture all of the music um from a group of people or from an era you will be you won't just be capturing how music is made you'll be capturing how people lived how they talked yes uh what they ate and how they lived right and and so um i think i think there is a way in which this a song like this can can kind of contribute to uh an anthropological assessment of it, it, uh, sexual it, mores it can because there's also in there uh, he refers to monkey men which as we as we know became a slur I, you know growing up in the south i just always assumed it was a slur um but the two like authors of the song are, are black so i'm not sure what to make of that if that hadn't crossed over into that or if that was something that was uh acceptable in the black community you know uh something like that but that's to your point that's why it's important that these records exist because you hear yeah, that and, and you don't just be like, like, is Ry Cooter like racist? What? <laughs> yeah. It, it, you know, one of, one of the great things that really sets folkways apart, um, you know, in the liner notes to this record, they, they thank Smithsonian folkways for keeping this title in print. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and part of the crate, you know, when, when, when Mo Ash, who, you know, a lot of people talk about Harry Smith and the anthology of American folk music as well. They should, Ryan Walsh's band Hallelujah the Hills has that great folk music is insane song yeah. that, that talks about it you know that that is still on people's minds but but Mo Ash was really the sort of big picture vision um, and financial wizard who basically had this idea that he was going to collect a world a world of sound was is the phrase that they keep using and so that meant that he wanted songs by Lead Belly and he also wanted, um, you know, the, um, you know, songs of the Ituri pygmies of, an, you know, yeah. a Nigerian rainforest or right. Sounds of North American Frogs, a release that I worked on uh, in 1998. Um, and uh, and so when it came time for someone to acquire Mo Ash's catalog, he, you know, you know, famously, he said he would only sell it to someone who would keep all titles in print. And while Columbia and others might have wanted Woody Guthrie and they might have wanted Dave Van Ronk and um, uh, Mahalia Jackson and all kinds of other things, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't want to keep Sounds of North American Frogs in print. And right. and so the answer was the Smithsonian. It was it was fundamentally us. It was the public, right, who were keeping it in print. And and at least when I was there in the late 90s, there was this one of my favorite places to work. And I, I spent a few days a week in there usually was in the mailroom where they received and shipped out special orders. So mm-hmm. 
they, you know, you can, you can write them and they will send you their entire catalog and you can request any title in there. Um, and you pay folkways and they will, um, they will create a custom version of that with the original liner notes. Um, oh, wow. and it's this, yeah, this enormous mailroom is organized by catalog number. So all you're doing is you're taking a number SF four zero zero eight three. You go to that cubby. If there's a cassette in there, you pull it out, you check to make sure all the liner notes are in there. You check the address and that gets shipped out. And the people working that mailroom, this is one of the things I loved about it, was was the band Seldom Seen, which is a bluegrass uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, mainstay yeah, yeah. of DC. I think three of the five members of Seldom Seen worked in that mailroom at the time, um, and it was just a it was just such a fun thing to be to be doing, you know, because you're looking at the titles that you're pulling, and um, you know, I distinctly remember filling several orders for people who wanted recordings of Bertolt Brecht uh, testifying in front of the House of Un-American Activities Committee. Right. <laughs> um, so some some theater nerd out there really needed to hear that, and and God bless them because Folkways is there to 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 meet that need. So. Um, that's you know when I that's 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 partly why like I have a hard time focusing on a record like this sometimes because it just opens up so many other uh, things about the Folkways experience. But but you know to put it bluntly, some of what Folkways keeps in print is kind of randy old dirty man songs from back in the day, and those have a place in our in our yeah. You know. uh, what was the label that did? They did a box set. It's is it? I don't think dust to digital is the right thing. I think that's something else. Okay, okay maybe. No. Okay. I mean, H or. Well, dust to digital might be it. Um, but they, they did a they did a box set, and and there was some concern about songs uh, that used the n word, songs that were like sure. racist, and yeah. I I believe they changed it. Oh, interesting. And they took them off, yeah. which which. And then it sparked a whole discussion. I probably had this backwards, but a whole discussion about should you keep those things in? Should you change them? What do they mean? How do they change when they get into the, like the public like space of consumption? Because like the folkways thing, yeah, it's out there. But like like you said, somebody's ordering like a Bertolt Brecht thing, you know, that yeah, like nobody's yeah. ever like heard of. In but this is something. This was something that was definitely going to be like. On uh, your end list, it was going to be on like Grammy for best packaging, shit like that. So, and what does yeah, that mean? Yeah. Uh, and, and I don't know the answer to that, but I, I think, well, I, no, I do. Like that, that does need to be protected. And if it takes the Smithsonian to do it, then, um, and and we need to yeah. not, we need to be okay with talking about like what that stuff meant. Well, I think I think preserving stuff this way is not the same as thinking that there needs to still be a statue of a Confederate general mm -hmm. in the main square of your town. I don't think, you know, that's not you're not really learning. I mean, I don't what are you learning from a statue? That's not how you learn history from anyway. But you're learning that some dude had a horse and he had a body and clothes, maybe. <laughs> uh, and he had a name like that's literally what yeah. you learn from a statue. Um what you learn from this is 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 something is something wholly different, and I think these songs also exist outside of those recordings, right? So Taj yeah. likely encountered this song in a bunch of other formats with slightly different lyrics and slightly different oh, approaches, yeah. and and for all we know, the version that they committed to tape in the in the fifties might not have been the version that Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee wanted to commit to tape, right? Right, right, right. Um, so there's all these ways in which these songs are kind of living things that 
sure they get passed down through the recordings and they're a part of it but 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 you also get to meet them out in the street out in the world as living breathing things yeah um yeah let's hear let's hear another song um talking about this is sort of talking about what we were just talking about but uh name of the song is pick a bale of cotton So Pick a Bale of Cotton, um, just a, a traditional song um, mm-hmm. they they updated. Uh, you know, something like that context is like super important. And something yeah. that I don't, I don't know enough about that particular song to really comment too deeply on it right now. But like, uh, there's going to be a rich history of how that came about and how that made it to the two original like songwriters and then now how it made it to Taj Mahal and, uh, and Rakuter. There's a great making of video for this album and they're talking about this song and Taj Mahal is like, he's kind of saying like woke shit. Like he doesn't like, isn't down with that, but he's like, look, yeah, people were like worried. Like maybe we'll get like some racial bent or anything to it. But like these songs, these happened. Um, and we feel qualified to play it and it's up to, it's kind of, we're going to give you a little context, but it is kind of on you to like explore this further. Yeah. Well with these, I mean, I mean with any, with any text context matters, right? So, um, you know, the way this is presented and the way this song has been understood is that it is capturing, uh, a, a complex and maybe in some ways problematic state of, of reality. It sort of, you know, um, paints an idyllic picture of what must have been a very difficult uh, life that that folks were living in the South. Yeah. Um, what, you know, what that what the song opens up for you if you listen to it is you can go you know, you can either it's either it's in the liner notes or you can go online and find this stuff out and you'll find out that it's a, it's a traditional song. You'll find out mm-hmm. that Lead Belly um, performed it often. If you go down a Lead Belly deep dive, you might find out that he, uh, you know, is sort of a modern day Orpheus who was in prison and sang for his freedom. Uh, mm-hmm. And you might also um, spend some time learning about prison work songs, which, you know, this, you know, it's thought that one of the early recordings of this was from uh, was from a pair of inmates. And there's a whole social function that music has um, when you're, uh, 
when you're a prisoner um and there's a great i don't think it's a folkways release i think it's it's someone else but there's a there's a cd compilation called wake up dead man it's field recordings of black convicts in texas in the 50s and 60s um and you know that that the purpose of music in that setting wasn't wasn't the words it was about the rhythm it was about creating a pace of work it was about slowing down the work so that the slowest members of that line wouldn't be called out and singled out so that everyone could right. can move in in unison you know and and so that's where you know i don't know statues of confederate generals don't open up those doors but but music does when you experience it this way and when you and when you sort of try to figure out what is what is behind it um that being said this this could have been presented in a way that was callous and in poor taste and i and i think it's really not i think it's presented kind yeah, of faithfully no. as a text to, that is yeah. to the point you know what, what you you mentioned these statues twice you know I, I lived in richmond actually for many years i lived on monument avenue like directly on monument avenue uh by the arthur ash monument uh which is great yeah. because at night it would uh it, it's arthur ash standing in front of a bunch of kids with a tennis racket raised over his head but at night, the only, I don't know if somebody did this on purpose, but the only lights that were shining on it, instead of white lights, there were red lights. So it looked like, it looked like Arthur Ashe was trying to murder the kids. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's not so much you, you never learn, you're never going to learn something from a statue like that. I think it's, you're never going to learn something from the oppressor of val- right. value. And that's right. that's the subtext in this. Like, you know, this could have been like post slavery, but also like in like the time of slavery, this there's so many different just sort of paths this takes you down to figure out like how it exists in this form. Um and th- this is actually where I, I plug the uh, book by Ted Joya, Music of Subversive History. Yeah. If you if this type of thing interests you, then this is that's the book for and it only touches on a few different uh, eras of history but he, he's basically making the case like hey if you look at anything that you don't quite understand or if you want to know how something like uh, Dua Lipa came to rise you know you can find yeah. out what the use what that music is actually for and what, what it's being based on when the artists themselves might not, not even know it but yeah. but that's, that's one, a little... of, one of the things he does that and that actually takes us back to Deep Sea Diver a little bit too is he really he really chronicles how songs about um, body songs and songs about romance and love, depending on who is singing them, are considered weighty or not. Right. So when so when 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 women were the sort of popular performers of these things, those songs are considered frivolous. But when yeah. men are singing about them, suddenly those songs have have weight, too. And that's something I think he does that in like ancient Greece or something like that. It's like in the first third of the book. But it really it really does. um open up uh the uh uh you know your your appreciation of music uh, really mm-hmm. does change through that book i think yeah yeah hopefully we can get him on sometime i would love that yeah, I, that'd be I, great. I emailed him once and he just ignored me but neither here nor he there. his i I've, i think i've said this before i'll say it again his his year end best of lists are my favorite best of lists yep. i I usually find like 70 artists or releases that I have not heard of somehow and that of course are on his radar. Yeah. He's so, amazing. So back to, to Taj and Rai though. Um, if th- there's a movement going on uh, in music sometimes, like we always look for 
authentic stuff, right? And that's what we talk about. Um, yeah. and, you know, and it can be authentic, like blues or whatever country, what that really means. Um, blues for is more so than anything else though, has this, uh, very, uh, it's, it's actually important history as a country, maybe not so much. Um, it's, it's, it's good. It's good. Like as a fiction backdrop, maybe. Um, but you see people frequently trying to bring this forward. And, uh, recently a guy from here, Carl Nichols, uh, as goes as Buffalo Nichols, uh, put out a, oh, yeah, a, a blues album, this. which was yeah. interesting to see. It's not. Um, people love it. <laughs> um, and, and I'm torn because I, I've seen him in like three different bands, and it's it's stellar work. But also, I'm like, oh, but you know this. But I mean, part of his point is that like black people aren't making black music like this, you know, and it needs mm-hmm. and it needs to be out there. Um, I don't. His stuff though does not get close to this. And I don't know if that's a function of age or if that's saying to us that right now, like this is going, we're at a point where this is all going to change and our perception of what was in the past is going to change. One thing Raikuner said about this, he's like, we kind of wanted to do this because otherwise these songs get lost. You know? That's right. And, well, and, and this, it's totally valid to change this idiom, right? For for that to change over a hundred years or two hundred years, that's that's totally valid. But it's also like it, it seeing it, it just feels kind of weird because you. I mean, and, and I say this for any like you know the the whole like Steve Ray Vaughan wannabes, you know the blues guitar stuff like that. You know that changed it uh, a good bit. But uh, is is it gonna is it gonna mutate? To a point where it becomes unrecognizable or polished, or is or you think we can get back to this? Well, you know, the when I was when I first came across a lot of the folkways stuff, what I knew of the blues was largely the sort of post BB King, mm-hmm. Stevie Ray kind of electric Chicago blues, like which, which was really just a hybrid form of rock, right? Um, yeah. and uh, was not particularly, um, bluesy i think other than a diminished fifth or something like that but um when you get to um when you get to this stuff and whether you call it you know country blues or um or the piedmont blues right um this is you know um it's interesting because it really lives in a space that is it lives in a folk river it lives like right next to towns van zandt or something like that it um and and you know there are not a lot of folks working in in this space one of my one of my favorite albums of the 90s of an artist that i think is probably not recording anymore was alvin young blood heart and he had an album called big mama's door that taj mahal was on yeah and it sounds exactly like this stuff and his subsequent releases were much more conventional electric blues things i'm assuming because there was pressure to say well you're a blues musician you need to you know this is what the blues sound like today so so, so something like this has the ability to sort of like recenter everything and pull everyone back into a space where you can make a record that sounds like this and and people will understand it and recognize it as being the blues. And so, you know, whether whether that'll, you know, how that will evolve going forward, I, I don't know. But um, that largely depends on who is influenced by it. Right. I mean, uh Jeff, you know, is, Jeff, Jeff Tweedy is massively influenced by everything Folkways did up to a certain point. And 
the direction he took that in was was probably not something that would have been predictable in the early 90s if you were listening to Uncle Tupelo. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Is is does the idiom do these these particular songs like first of all like every song on this record is fantastic. Yeah. Right? Every song just on a nuts and bolts thing. Never mind even the performance. Every song is fantastic. I was worried that I wouldn't be able to talk about it because every time I listened to it, I just right. thought, I really like this. I like this song. I like this song. I like this song. I lo- I also like this song. How? Like, what do I have to say about this? Well, I was like, I like it and I like what they did with it, right? Yeah. yeah. So, so I guess, I guess, you know, to what I was talking about a little bit, is it is there room for this to stretch? I know, like, Carl's, Carl's stuff is he's he's writing new music and, and I think that's necessary, but I also think, I, I wonder if it, can stay tied to this is this is sort of like early grateful dead songs that were made just for like dance halls right because bands just did stuff for dance halls back then and they they just don't translate any other way um and well if yeah yeah i mean i mean i think and i I didn't mean to cut you off there Mm. but but i'm i'm thinking about other other work that rai cooter and taj mahal have done where Taj Mahal has recorded with Tumani Diabate and really tried to sort yeah. of bring like Senegalese traditions into American folk forms and Rai Cooter, you know, you mentioned Buena Vista. He's he's done he's done so many different um, so many different things. So I think if they want to if they want to push this into a direction, they're the they're the right people to do it. I I you know I don't think they saw this recording as the place to do that. Yeah. But if this were to become something that leads to subsequent releases or maybe you know a big tour or something like that where they really do get to kind of go out there and play these songs every night but also start to think about you know how they want the songs to go if they're going to play them every night together in front of an audience right, i right. think i think that's the that's the piece that i find really interesting in this because even though all the instrumentation is so tasteful you know taj mahal's um, harmonica playing is just superb joaquin cooter is is lovely um, as a percussionist, and it just—it's just all so tasteful. It's not flashy at all, right? And and that's kind of what I mean. They're—they're not—they're not—they're yeah. not drawing attention to themselves as much as they are to the songs. Yes, which is how you make a good song. Yes, and that's also how you don't get um, forced out of the folk music circle is by not yeah. trying to put yourself above the song. Um. Yeah, I, I think I think it's really I hope I hope they stay in this vein and I think they do you know, I hope that they do try to bring other folk traditions into this to keep to keep doing right. um some of those interesting and I and, and they're not the only ones. I mean I mean Bela Flected has has gone to Africa and recorded with um African string instruments. Um, you know, there is there is a way for all these things to come together for 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 folk traditions to augment each other and to inform each other and to uh, become something even greater. And I I don't I like if they're not going to do it, I don't know who's going to do it. Yeah, I, it's not going to it's not going to be Billy Strings. <laughs> no, it is not. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I I just ha- I'm having trouble like picturing like if we're in the middle even of something that is is a new folk tradition people like to say that all the time but it's never true but thinking about the music we we just made fun of billy strings but yeah thinking about something like that but what like i don't know if that's going to be like impactful in some different way or or maybe something he will do maybe he hasn't done but he will do that is gonna fit into this very like 
to me seems still a very like tight case. It's like you've got the things in there, and this is this is this is the root. Yeah, uh, I think I think you're. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna reassess my response a little bit. I think I don't think I don't think there will be a new audience for this. I think I think Taj and Rai will continue that's to what play I was dancing around, yeah. to the Taj and Rai audience, and that audience will welcome this and will find it interesting, and that audience will also follow them if they want to take this on a journey. I I I don't know that this will be felt outside of that, and and I think yeah. you and I are probably you know, in the lower quintile of the age spread for the fans of this music. And yeah, I was, there's not, it hasn't been a, so back in the eighties, it was the Robert Johnson box set. Yes, 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 the yes. Two disc, two disc set. You can still get it. Um, but, yeah, yeah. but it really kicked off a whole thing. That's what got me into Ry Cooter. Um, and, uh, okay. is that the movie Crossroads and the, uh, Robert and yeah, but, I'm, I'm trying to think if there's been a release like that that people can push to and like I'd love to call it this but even though it's not you know it, it, it's yeah it's just so in line with uh, it's just timeless dude run out of words it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah no 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 it is I think I think someone I think I think someone can can take elements of this music and put it in front of a new audience um, yeah in a more, you know, whether that comes out of a kind of electronic or a hip hop tradition, you know, like uh, just, I think, I think some other, someone in some other lane can take part of this and make something with it and bring attention to it. Um, They're going to tour it around. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, And that'll be a delightful. Now, where are they going to play? They're probably going to play at your wolf traps and at your birch mirrors and right. You're sort of, um, and, and those are, those tend to bring out a certain demographic and, right. um, and it's people who already enjoy folk music. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. The, the real frustrating thing about pop music, I'm discovering if you want to refer to this as pop as popular, you know, mm-hmm. is, is that it, it lets you sometimes not really pay attention to it. Yeah. Right? It, it sort of it sort of invites you to turn the your brain off and yeah not, you can just you know, be like I'm not gonna pay too much but if something like this and a lot of pop like you when you pay attention to it you realize how like like deep yeah like this this I, I, this, this album feels just like generational I think I think for folks who may not have you know if if what we're playing here didn't particularly resonate with you I would I would encourage you to just go watch some of the clips from these sessions on oh, YouTube yeah. because seeing seeing the music be made is a different experience than just hearing it. Seeing those guys playing, seeing how they look at one another, their gestures, even, you know, th- something that sounds like a very simple guitar strum or just a very simple harmonica sound is actually something that requires a lot of technique, movement, coordination. And so if if this is all leaving you cold, maybe at least go watch like one or two of the of the clips online and see if those move you more. Yeah. Yeah. But everybody go out and buy this. All three all three albums that we talked about today, this is they're so different. <laughs> but yeah. but like this is the point is that for for me and for you, they're like somehow cognitively locked in. There's like a connection. Oh yeah, 
Like, yeah. and, and I think they're, the all, they're is, all like one or two, one or two degrees removed from each other, right? Right. In our minds. Right. But yeah. it's not immediate, yeah. and and I and I think that's the best. That's the best we can do on this show is just like make sure, like that you heard one thing, and then you think, oh, I just feel that it's there. I hope. I hope a lot of people go out and get all three of these things. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Uh, because. Um, yeah, I'm excited that we're back, but also I was excited. Like, I'm excited by all these albums. I'm like, ooh, this is so nice. Yeah. <laughs> this is like, yeah, man, it's gonna be there's there's gonna be a lot of music coming out this year. There's gonna be a lot of good stuff for us to talk about in the near future too. Ooh, Trinosonic Experience. Oh, we didn't we talk gotta, about that. We gotta do that on the weekend. But and we we'll, 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 we'll talk about Mike. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. So 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 uh, we'll be back and uh, stay safe out there, guys. Dollars.